Welcome to the Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. And this week we are looking at The Magicians by Lev Grossman. Quentin Clearwater is brilliant but miserable. Obsessed with the fantasy novels he read as a child, he finds the real world just doesn't compare. Then one day it happens. He stumbles unexpectedly into a hidden world and is invited to join a very exclusive college where he will learn the secrets of magic. But something is still missing and now Quentin will do anything to find what he's always been looking for. That synopsis gives away absolutely nothing, does it? (laughs) That doesn't sound like the book that I read. No, it doesn't at all. (laughs) What a book to start a season on. Hmm. I suppose before we get stuck in, we will give you some uh, content warnings um all of which can be found at that website for which i cannot remember the name of at the second this right this second Storygraph. Storygraph. that's the <laughs> one <laughs> um but they include alcohol alcoholism drugs death blood misogyny ableism toxic relationships and suicidal ideation among others also our regular spoiler warning we will be talking about everything that happens there's a couple of big twists and a few deaths and we will be going into those so be warned if you are not signed up to our mailer we highly suggest you do so you can find it at the dark academicals book club.substack.com and we are revamping it a little bit for season six with a whole new direction in our book club episodes and we think you're really gonna like it so subscribe come along (laughs) come along (laughs) come along join us is that all the admin out the way i think it is isn't it it is welcome to season six that kind of blows my tiny little mind every time (laughs) And uh, we thought we were going in big on this one. We tried to choose a like a big meaty book for our first episode of the season. It's and best to start off with the bigger books as well because we have the tendency to get a little bit burnt out by the time we're recording yeah. the last episode. So, but why did we choose this novel? Well, it was meant to be incredible. It has a multi-season TV show. There's a magic school. There's like allusions to this like classic fantasy series that um the main character's obsessed with. Like it was hitting all the all the right notes. And um well it did for the first chapter. It did. But then um not so much. <laughs> so my my um theory here is we we normally end the season on a bum note. With a book neither of us like. But the book we have in our final episode this season, I think is gonna be just a pure winner. So I, I think we've I think we've swapped it this time. We've flipped the script. We have. We've broken the trend. Um but unfortunately does mean that we are gonna be starting off the season on a book that both of us did not like. I would go even as far as to say that kinda hated it sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it's one of those books that has been sneakily making its way onto dark academia lists. Mm. And it's always a book that I've been curious about only because of how much popularity it has. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then it was obviously adapted into the TV show. I think it's on Prime, isn't it? I think so. Um, so it got this big kind of like luxe fantasy show treatment. You're like, well, it's got to have like some good stuff in there. And those, I always find that those kind of adaptations almost have a Dark Academia vibe, don't they, sometimes? Mm. So everything was suggesting that this was going to be a good one. Yeah. I mean, I even, I mean, we will get more into this, but let me just get it out of my system because... <laughs> I I feel a bit bad because I'd only read the first chapter and I was like, don't worry, we're fine. This book is <laughs> yeah. fine. It's exactly what we wanted. And then I read a bit further and I was like, I should have waited a little <laughs> bit longer. Because <laughs> I'd start, I'd went into it like, okay, Sarah's reassured me. This is fine. I was reading it and I was like, she okay? <laughs> okay, hon? <laughs> Wait, what, what happened? <laughs> I think as well, I read that first chapter and it was great. And then there were some bits I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was still giving it a chance because of how good the first chapter was. And then by the time, by the time really, I mean, I could say by the time of the end of book one, but it was way before then. But let's just say for an easy point of reference, by the end of book one, I was over it. I don't even think I lasted that long. <laughs> I became like really hyper aware of like the language that was being used and some of the really damaging language that we will go into a bit later, that just, I was like, okay, I'm done with this now. And unfortunately I had like 350 pages to go. So, (laughs) yeah, because it's only 500 pages, isn't it, I think? It's a a chunker. It is a chunk. I I, um, messaged Sarah after finishing it last night, quite angry that I had spent the whole week reading (laughs) this book. (laughs) I mean... Props to to the NHS for making us wait for like four or five hours before my dad went in for surgery because I got a lot I got a lot read in that time. <laughs> you really smashed through it, didn't you? <laughs> <coughs> oh dear, it's a shame it wasn't a better book for that situation. Yeah, but what can you do? They they happen. You can't love every book. Not every book is for every person. That's true. It's just how it works. This book is definitely for some people. People are very into it. Yeah, there's some real glowing reviews. And I'm yeah. like, you know when you're just reading it and you're like, mm, no. I also do, I I haven't written this down, but please remind me later to talk about some of those glowing reviews. Okay, I will do. Would you like, I'll, I'll write it down for you. Thank you. So it doesn't get forgotten about. Preparedness. Don't have it, don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> not today apparently well it's, it's written down now it is officially in the uh, in the running order there's no escape okay so shall we uh, get into our dark academia tropes let's for the, go for the first time in what feels like ages but it's actually only <laughs> about five or six weeks <laughs> so as this is the start of a new season and you may be joining us for the first time I'm just going to give you a little explainer of what um, we kind of do in our episodes so when we choose a book we kind of tear it apart sometimes gently sometimes not so gently but (laughs) always with um kind of the viewpoint of looking at what makes a novel dark academia breaking that down and trying to see if the book that we're looking at hits those notes 
Um, so if you want more information on that, you can go back right to the beginning of our catalogue and check out our introduction to Dark Academia episode, which will break down the major points. Obviously, we are on season six, so we do have some some tropes that we've added on as we've gone through, um, but they, those should be pretty self-explanatory. So I guess uh, we should get going with a higher education setting often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way yes yeah absolutely so basically quentin goes to just normal school in new york city and he goes for his princeton interview um again just a reminder like spoilers i'm going to tell you exactly what happens (laughs) um and he gets given um an envelope by the paramedic at the scene because when he gets there he finds that the person the old um alumni that was supposed to interview him has died and he he's walking along the streets it's like windy cold bitter gray new york day um and this this letter blows away and he goes chasing it and he ends up kind of stumbling through back into summer and he finds break bills where he's then told, well, if you if you want to be a part of this, let's go do a three hour exam. See if you get in. <laughs> <laughs> as as happens to most people on a random Tuesday afternoon, you know. Um, and yeah, he finds himself at a magic school. So it's all a technicality. It is, yes. He is literally there. But we, yeah. we were saying a lot while we were reading that it doesn't feel like it because the pacing is so weird. <laughs> like, book one of that book, so probably 200 odd pages, yeah. is five years of him at the school. <laughs> yeah, it does jump, doesn't it? It will suddenly be like, and now they're in the third year. And you're like, hello. hello. You're like, uh, but two pages oh. ago, we were in second year. <laughs> You know, and it's just like glossing over things like that girl in their class that dies when they release the beast. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they didn't know at the time that Amanda had died. That's it. That's as far as it goes. Yeah. No one, no, there's no fallout from that. No one goes, oh, I really miss Amanda. No. Like, there's nothing. There's none of the like obvious PTSD that would come from that whole experience. You know, there's no. I know something that you were annoyed about was that there's you know they they don't study they don't really do any work we don't really see them doing anything for this elite really difficult like challenging stressful academic environment yeah it quite clearly i mean in several occasions presses the point that the students that are there they all are sort of aware of each other because they all kind of are from the same circles of academia, like outside. So they'll know each other from, I'm not, I don't want like, like model UN and debate teams. Yeah. And, yeah. I was going to say like mathletes, but you know what I mean? Stuff, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Like they are just at the tip top of like mm-hmm. their high school's academic echelon. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, they all kind of know each other and they know that they're all smart and that they work really, really hard to be at the top and to be smart and to get straight A's or uh, whatever the system is. But 
then they come to this school and do what? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't understand what they're doing other than it just seems to be chance that they just think really hard <laughs> and it happens. Yeah, that that's kind of my major gripe. Well, it feels it feels like Yuri Geller staring at a spoon. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like other than the uh, misogyny and ableism that I'll talk about later, that's my major gripe with the book. Is that four hundred odd pages later? I don't know how the magic works. I don't think they know how the magic works. <laughs> I don't know how this institution works. I don't know how this world operates. Yeah, I think that's, again, that's another issue, is that they're all at this school to learn this magic, but for what? There's, yeah. like, no... that They learn it, and then what? There's no, like, oh, we're training you to rule the world, like, because they have enough power to do that, allegedly. I don't know, they've turned into a goose, but I don't know what else they can do. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, there's no follow-on from that. It's like they go and live in Brooklyn, yeah. For a bit. Or is it Queens? I'm not sure where uh, they live afterwards. It's Brooklyn, they go I back think. to Brooklyn? Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, so they're basically they're back in New the New York area and doing what? Yeah, because there's this whole thing about like they are graduating from break bills makes you so elevated, makes you so special that you can literally do whatever you want. But what would be the, what do, I just don't know what, why they'd keep training people to do that. Like, for what purpose? Yeah, especially when there's that, like, when they join the school, there's that whole rigorous exam and it's like 300 people and only 20 get through because you can only have 20 people in each year of the school. So, but you're like, okay, but why? Like, why? Why? Just Why? (laughs) Why? what are the rules and why are they there you know because without that framework a fantasy world which is what this is it's it's a portal fantasy it falls apart yeah unless i mean i haven't i have no idea what happens in books two and three i don't mean in in this book but as in like the sequels yeah because it's a trilogy yeah they could all be sleeper agents for all i know (laughs) maybe that's the big twist but uh, from this book you get nothing yeah and it you were saying as well that you felt like them being at break bills was the author kind of putting that in there so he could get them to fillery because that's what he was interested in yeah and it really did feel like that especially by the time we got into that section of the book yeah but they still could have what i don't understand is like because that part is not grounded in anything like it they they could have we could have just skipped straight to the bit where they're off to fillery. Yeah, I mean the the kind of break bills element could have been you know that's what connects them that's how they met and they could have been you know flashbacks and memories and all of that crap. You know it doesn't it didn't have to be there it didn't have to be set up that way. No. Other than as a marketing tool and to link back to other. Uh, fantasy novels and fantasy structures. Yeah, this was another issue that I had with it, is it just felt like it was poking fun at people that enjoy fantasy books or, like, the escapism element of fantasy books because there is this whole thing about how Quentin is kind of, like... He feels ostracised, even, by his love of disappearing into those stories. Mm. 
and it I don't know to me it just felt like they it, it was kind of poking a bit of fun at people that enjoy those kind of books that have that escapism element and the happy ending and it's like well there is no happy ending so grow up yeah (laughs) i think i think that's really true actually especially on that focus of you know fillery is um a 1930s kind of children's fantasy series Mm. it's basically narnia it is Um, narnia so like (laughs) parallel the parallels are exact it's just had its name changed basically um And it's kind of that kind of... Oh, I've lost my thread now. I got caught up in Narnia. I hate it when that <laughs> It's like that... It's almost a mocking tone, isn't it? Yeah. It's that like trying to snap your innocence almost. Like trying to drag you into the real world, kicking and screaming. Um, But without appreciating like the power and the the safety that those spaces provide because even his his classmates when he gets to break wheels they mock him for loving the books don't they exactly yeah he's like oh they're kids books you know and he ends up kind of drifting away from them a bit doesn't he because of you know the response he gets to loving these books so much and it's kind of replaced with the real world of magic yeah, and then when they do, obviously, Fillory exists and it's you feel like it should be this reaffirming thing, but it's not because of how it ends. It's almost like if you escape into these worlds, nothing good can come from it. Yeah, and when, then when you're dumped back into the real world, your life's going to be even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's depressing. It's just... And it, it just really... I don't know. It irks me a bit because... Uh, I mean, me and you both know the power that a book can have to affect you. And obviously, not I'm not always in positive ways, but because it is a safe space to explore and to feel and then yeah. compartmentalise it because it's just in a book. I don't know. No, absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. And it, it does feel like it undermines that, which is a really odd move for an author writing a fantasy novel. Yeah. Because a lot of a lot of things I felt about this book, you could have been like, well that's Quentin's experience. That's how Quentin speaks and that's how Quentin feels. But there was nothing in the text su- to suggest that it was just Quentin. That yeah. f- it felt like authorial intent. I get you. But Definitely a higher education setting. Oh, definitely. And secret societies too, that kind of plays into it, doesn't it? Because the whole yeah. of break bills is, is secret. Yeah. Because, I mean, even the parents of these kids, if they're, if they're not born into magic, their parents are kind of like charmed into hmm, thinking. Where have, seen, where have we seen that before? Yeah, I know, right? It does sound familiar, doesn't it? Hermione. <clears throat> um, you know, that... They don't, they're not allowed to know this exists. It is so secret that even people that take the exam and they don't pass, they have their memories wiped. Hmm. You know? But again, it's a strange move because it's such a, a small 
um, kind of opportunity for magic. Like, again, I don't really know how the magic works, but you either have it or you don't. And there also doesn't seem to be anyone enforcing, like, if somebody goes rogue. Like, what's to stop Quentin and his mates from just telling the world about it once they graduated? Do you know what I mean? There doesn't seem to be any kind of... Mm. um, fail safe no and they're not kind of the characters that you would go well they love this world they respect <laughs> this world no. that they would keep it safe you know that there's like the magicians is it the magicians council or senate i think it's council yeah something like that but they're just kind of mentioned vaguely and kind of oh if you do that they're not gonna like that <laughs> yeah and what but there's there's no grounding to it. It's just like no. floated. It's yeah. It's like telling a kid, well, if you do that, Father Christmas isn't going to bring you a present. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I like, really don't care because okay. Mum will get me that anyway. So yeah. you know, it's empty threats. <laughs> so it but, just it doesn't really work. No, but yeah, definitely secret society. So we got another tick. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, old Gothic architecture. Now, I can't really remember. The, so here's my issue, is that I read this book and then um, I did a little bit digging in and around it. And I read somewhere that um, the author actually based the structure on uh, Brideshead Revisited. And then all I could see in my head was Brideshead. Ah, okay. Yeah. For the setting, which isn't not it's not not gothic but it's not gothic (laughs) yeah i know what you mean it's more romantic than gothic Mm. isn't it but yeah i think i think that that does fit how it's portrayed isn't it even with like the limited description and the limited uh set placement we get for um break bills because of these, there's massive grounds. There's a, a maze that changes every year. Uh, the the weather is like three months behind our world. Hmm. Um, but and they they have these tiny little bedrooms. It's but that's all all we really know about the building. So I have no issue with kind of placing bride's head on top of that and going, yeah, yeah that works you know it fits it just felt less gothic more quirky yeah i think to me i think rom- i think you were right with romantic yeah um definitely felt it's like countryside manor uh downton style yeah absolutely feeling. yeah big money big money big house big money big house <laughs> so no to old gothic architecture yeah but when it comes to a preoccupation with classical studies, Latin, Greek, literature or philosophy, there's not one of those, but there is a preoccupation with learning magic, even allegedly. if we don't... Allegedly, yeah. And also Quentin's preoccupation with the the Fillory books. Yes. That's his main obsession for a lot of the novel. Yeah. But again, when it came to the magic, it was like... There's, there's this whole thing like a couple of times where Quentin kind of like shuts down and just like dives right into learning 
Yeah. He just does all of the learning, all of the studying. But then it's like, he spent three months doing this and now it's fourth year. Yeah. I think what what has just struck me about Quentin is that he's so very almost there as a character in terms of being someone that you could compare to like Henry from The Secret History. He's almost there. He's like almost there to someone as you can compare to like, in, you know, in The Raven Boys. Like he's just... He's just not quite there in terms of like this feverish obsession that's driving him um, because it, it seems to come and go. Yeah, he's he's very fickle. Yeah. Um, and it, Isn't and he? It, <laughs> yeah, in more ways than one. And a little bit wishy-washy. Yeah. And I think like he's kind of like brushed with like melancholy. That's kind of his, that's the feeling I get from him. That's the strongest thing, that he isn't happy and he isn't satisfied in whatever he's given um, or even whatever he earns. And that takes any place, like, to, that's not the right word. Steals the limelight yeah. from any other preoccupations or interests he has because that's what your throne consistently is. Quentin being an idiot. That that boy needs therapy. And a slap. And a slap. <laughs> God, I loathe him. I loathe him. So much. <sighs> I just I think Henry would be insulted. I am yeah. in, I am insulted on Henry's behalf. <laughs> and it's not like Henry's a good guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh dear. He's just not the one. <laughs> Why does he deserve magic school? <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. Tell that's Dudley Dursley. Oh yeah, explain that because I thought that was interesting and also awful. Yeah, so um uh again, whilst I was digging, I found um snippets from an interview i couldn't locate the exact source so i can't take this as verbatim but it has been mentioned in a couple of online places that um apparently the author doesn't like the treatment that jk rowling gave gave to uh dudley dursley in the harry potter books um in that i think jk is has said before that something about Dudley being an unimaginative child that wouldn't wouldn't be able to grasp or appreciate or wasn't receptive to wasn't magic. receptive to magic yeah um and he didn't like that um so justice for Dudley we now have a Quentin and quite honestly of all of the characters Dudley Dursley really <laughs> why yeah I mean, let's not get into the psychology of that, but um I think I think we're painting a picture here of Lev Grossman. <laughs> it's not a flattering picture, but it's a clear one. Look, Lev, let me level with you. <laughs> I like your writing as a on a technical level, I think it's quite sound. However, your content is not for me. <laughs> I think maybe you Narnia fan fiction should have stayed in a drawer and you should have <laughs> written something else and it, I probably would have loved it 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not even convinced of that, honestly. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. Okay, Listen. sorry, sorry. Be nice. Be nice to Mr. Lev. <laughs> I think that kind of flows quite nicely into intertextuality, inter- which is a new trope for season six that we decided on literally last night hmm. when discussing this book ahead of recording. Yeah. So, I mean, we've mentioned this a few times. So we've got... Um, it's basically Narnia fan fiction because you said when you were doing the reading that um, Grossman actually wrote it as Narnia and then had to change it for copyright. Yeah, so in the first draft, um, Fillory was Narnia, um, but for like obvious obvious licensing issues, mm. he had to change it. Again, I cannot trace the exact sources for this it might not be verbatim it could actually all be balls but um (laughs) multiple places have cited this as as being true so if i can find those sources i will pop them on the um the page with all of our usual notes and um, references Mm. for titles and stuff but there's even like the mention of like the christian lion (laughs) (laughs) which is like hi aslan (laughs) (laughs) and you know you've got the changing seasons you've got the watcher woman who's the white witch yeah you've got the uh the rams ember and umber who are like um i guess he switches it around a little bit there doesn't he He puts them as the god figures um but yeah it's it's not subtle if you're even vaguely familiar with them like i don't actually think i've read narnia no, I haven't read Narnia. I've seen the films. But yeah, I've seen it. the films. Because um, again, it's just religious propaganda and I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then you also made a really good point about Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. Alice. Alice. And I was like, oh my God. Smacked myself in the forehead. So obvious. <laughs> and I yeah. missed that entirely. So Alice is, a, you know, one of... Quentin's classmates and also his girlfriend later in the book and the way she is treated throughout the book makes me want to scream it's appalling it's vile and I don't care that it's that's just how Quentin is no no like if you're gonna do that then the authorial voice the narrators the other characters have to then go Hey, dude, not okay. Not okay, and that's that's on many instances. Yeah, it's not just one. It's just he treats her appallingly, and gets away with it, and everything. Everyone thinks yeah. it's fine. And, and then oh. again, spoiler alert. And then she dies at the end for him to save him and the rest of them. Yeah, it's just there's a, there's a cheating episode, and the way he reacts to that made me want to throw my kindle across the room yeah uh it's not good <laughs> it's it's not okay and you can definitely see those kind of like the the parallels in the way that alice lands herself in this alien world she definitely has a lot more agency than alice in alice in wonderland there is still this kind of naivety though to yeah her, like absolutely. this innocence to her um, I can't remember. Isn't there like one of the first descriptions of her is quite she she comes across quite young and yeah and like mousy kind of yeah yeah. 
um, she's very quiet. She doesn't speak for weeks, does she? No. Um, yeah, it's it's all very ick if you start thinking about it too much. Yeah. Basically. And honestly, I think that was one of the first things I updated you on while I was reading. I was like, <laughs> this gives me the ick. <laughs> so I think uh, talking about Alice goes quite nicely into murder. It does, doesn't it? Because there is, there is some murder. <laughs> murder. Murder. Well, I mean, we pretty much start off with them. Well, the old man, is he? Is he just dead or does he... Hang I on. Think, I think he's just dead. He's not murdered, he's just dead. He's just dead, yeah. Okay, just checking. Couldn't really remember. Yeah. I think because he... Uh, Quentin asks the paramedic lady... Um, when he sees her at the school. Oh, yeah. And she's like, no, he was just old. That wasn't planned. (laughs) Everything else, though. (laughs) Yeah. He was just an accident. An accident. A magical accident. Whoopsie doodles. Yeah, there's quite a lot of murder. So it's quite brutal, actually. Quite bloody. Yeah. Like, um, Penny's hands. (laughs) I'm not laughing. <laughs> that was a nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. He gets like in the the big final battle because there was finally something that would that they were trying to achieve after 300 pages. <laughs> um, so basically, when they get to Fillory, there is uh, it's kind of in chaos. It's in political turmoil. There are no rulers since the Chatwins, who are. Oh my god, what are their last names in Narnia? Uh, I can't remember. The kids in Narnia, because obviously yeah. they go and rule. Uh, the Chatwins, who are the subject of the Fillory books, they ruled, you know, centuries ago. And now that they've all died off and, you know, the land has kind of fallen into political turmoil because they are unable to govern themselves because they are, are not... Um, capable of doing so which again a delightful colonial over- overtones there um i guess actually in narnia as well i never fully registered that yeah uh anyway i'm getting off track um <laughs> and um they're like oh well if you find this crown you guys can be the kings and queens there are four crown there are four thrones go for it crack on yeah, yeah. so in like obtaining the crown at the last the last hurdle the beast comes um and battles them and the beast is like the beast. The, the beast is the oh i really need to look up the the narnia children's names to make this uh comparison bear with you, bear with uh, peter kinda, susan pevency uh Right, I do, so I do kind of wish that some of the things had better names. Oh yeah, like the beast. The beast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not massively imaginative, is it? Umber and Ember. Mm. It's not great. So yeah, who gets made king? It is Peter, isn't it? Or is it Edmund? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. It's been so long since I've even touched. That series. Peter. Yeah. 
hiking, even the same words. Using the golden age of Narnia, which is exactly the way that they word it in The Magician's Fulfillery. So, uh, the the kind of, the, the magician's version, his name is Martin and he is the Peter. And it's basically he has corrupted himself with magic and power. And he is the beast and they have to take him down. So he kills Penny by chopping off his hands. And then um, Alice essentially kills herself to kill him. Yeah. So that was a really long way, winded way to tell you that someone died. (laughs) There was death. (laughs) There was death. Yes, there was definitely a lot of that. Hmm. However, a dark, moody and or haunting haunting vibe. I mean, sometimes, but not all of those elements. I think melancholy. Melancholy, uh, yeah. Morose. Yes, yes. But not in the way that we usually... It's not... It wasn't like a... um, Often in dark academia, it almost feels like contemplative. Contemplative. Con- con- that word, yeah. And yeah, like the foreboding. Yes, and, that's yeah. the word. Whereas this just sounded a bit mardy sometimes. Yeah, because Quentin is a really depressing na- narrator to be with. Yeah. Because he is moody. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's there's not really that that vibe there at all, is there? No. Which is a shame because that that's the the one thing that you go, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got hero worship of a particular figure or author. And I don't think this really applies, does it? No, I suppose uh, there's the fillery books, but that's, again, it's not quite... It's not quite realised in that way, in the no. same way. So... Yeah, because he doesn't really have any feelings for the author, does he? Christopher no. Plover. He doesn't um, kind of worship him. It's his what he's created. He actually criticises his writing and his storytelling of a couple of does. times, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it turns out that he was not a good guy. <laughs> Is there anyone in this book? I hated the way that was revealed. Like, <laughs> the, again, the language... Yeah, I feel like the language that Lev Grossman chose so frequently was deliberately offensive and dismissive. It's almost like it was also maybe it was also quite subversively offensive in the in the sense that unless you're, I mean, you do notice it, but unless you're like high, really like keyed into it, it, you might not. Does that make sense? Like it could, it's sort of camouflaged in the sense that. If you're looking at it from a bigger picture, like this is just Quentin, yeah. like it could just slide on by. But when you take that out of that context, you go, actually, you could have said the same thing differently and it would have had the same effect. Yeah, when there's no one countering that viewpoint. Yeah. Um, it's quite insidious, actually. And it does paint a portrait of the, of the writer because that's the only room he's given that language like that again falls under authorial intent authorial meaning 
Yeah. Because it pervades the whole book. Then we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. This one didn't really come up at all, did it? I mean, it's quite clear that all of these kids are... I say kids, they're they're sort of kids when they start this, but... Yeah, they're like 17, aren't they? Yeah, they all are quite well off because they all go to elite schools as it is and they're going Mm. into elite colleges. So they're quite well off. And like Quentin's parents own a multi-level brownstone in Brooklyn. Yeah. I think that that tells you everything you need to know about Quentin's financial situation. Yeah. But there's never a point where there's like a a money issue. No. And as soon as they get into the school, it's totally irrelevant. Yeah, because apparently no one wants to buy anything anymore once you're at that school. No, you don't need anything. You've got magic. You've got magic. What more do you need? (laughs) So yeah, that one's not really relevant. Uh, weather as a literary device I want to say no I mean it's used but it's not used to drive like mood or no you know complement like what's going on with characters or whatever I mean it is miserable at the beginning like the weather and again that's partly why I was like this is it this this is the one <laughs> but it it then just becomes tangled up with the magic because mm-hmm. I, why do they go to antarctica god knows that is right isn't it? they're in the they're in oh yeah the, they go to antarctica yeah because yeah. they have to walk to the the pole naked yeah why there are so many times when i was reading the book and i was just like why why is that there? Why did you make that choice? I mean, I, I know you could argue, oh, because it's extreme, there'd be no other people there, but also you have magic, so you could make anywhere like that. And why is it a real place and not, like, a fantasy place? Because you're in a fantasy world. Yeah. Well. Anyway, for me, there was not weather as a literary device. No, as you said, it's part of the magic, part of the world building, or it's stolen from another series. In terms of like the changing weather in Narnia. So, yeah. And then finally, we have underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I think Quentin likes to think he's an outsider. I think he enjoys being an outsider. And that he's very special. Yeah. He loves the. I think he's such an odd bean. (laughs) I was being nice. (laughs) But yeah, he is such a knob. But like. He's just that kid who's like, I was always destined for great things and yeah. great things haven't happened to me. And now the great things are happening, but it's just... It's not right. It's just not great enough. This isn't what I pictured. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he he's very much at the centre of his, his friendship group and he pretends yeah. he's not. I mean, also, he doesn't have great social skills, but it's not a barrier to him. Like, it's not something that... It doesn't stop him from having a girlfriend. It doesn't stop him from having Mm -mm. friends. It doesn't become a barrier to his learning. Like, there is nothing about his crap attitude (laughs) that means that he can't succeed. Yeah. Because he does. Just imagine what he would achieve if he was a nicer person. If he was charming. Oh, my God. It... That he wouldn't would be good. Yeah. He would rule the world and fillery. Like I think as well, because it's it's such a small pool of people, like Yeah. There wasn't enough people for him to be an outsider. 
No, you but know? I mean, like he he enjoys that though. He, oh, he, he does. He enjoys yeah. being an outsider. Like it, it felt as well. Like when he was hanging out with his other friends at the beginning of the book, like he positioned himself purposely as an outsider. Yeah, he put himself as the tortured one because his two best friends were in a relationship, and he likes Julia. Yeah, and despite them actually trying to include him, he he was like, no, no. It's too hard. It's too hard. I'd actually have to enjoy my time with you if I actually <laughs> tried. Like, I'd rather just be miserable. Okay. Yeah. And he and he is for the whole book. So at least he's consistent. Yeah, but now he gets to gets to uh, play the my girlfriend died card. So yeah, I'm still convinced that Alice has lived. Yeah, that maybe. girl, that floating girl at the end. I think that's yeah. Alice. I thought. I mean, let. I'm just gonna move on a little bit now. So yeah, from the last point, that's all our, our tropes dealt oh, with. Oh yeah, I just absolutely. have to say that the ending was the biggest load of shite. <laughs> After all that, mm-hmm. and he just flies like an eagle he's just off out the window <laughs> i was kind of hoping that it was falling to his death and maybe that i think that's kind of the point because well, you imagine when this was released you wouldn't have known he just no. gets out the window but you know he just gets out but you you know that that's not the case because there's two more books so unfortunately yeah i all i can imagine is he literally just flew away on the wind and I'm like, <laughs> of course he did but what annoys me is, though, oh no, that, that was so much <laughs> aggravation that the words got lost. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had to, that I punctuated the point there. Um, when, you know, two of your old best friends float up to your office window with a random girl in the middle and they're like, come with us. They don't even acknowledge that there's this complete stranger with them. He doesn't ask. What? That's the first just, thing I'd, I'd do. I'd be like, well, who's that? Wouldn't you be a little bit suspicious just generally? Like, I know magic is your thing now, but anyway. surely you need to ask more questions if there's magic involved because you can't always trust what you're seeing and what's yeah. happening. Like, and a shred like, of self-preservation would have been great. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, great, out the window. Like, <laughs> what? It's just, but I don't even care enough to find out. no. Series DNF for me, this one. Mm. So then we go on to um, our next section, which is kind of basically just all the bits we want to talk about that we haven't covered already. So the main one for me is the misogyny, the ableism and the fat phobia that run throughout the entire novel. And they're not just Quentin. No. It's mainly Quentin because we are with With Quentin Quentin for most of the time unfortunately yeah but we are with them like the misogyny i mm. i started uh highlighting it <laughs> but then i got so it oh it's starting to wind me up so much that i stopped because there was that much of it and some of it's that really subtle insidious underhanded misogyny yeah and then some of it's just like straight up in your face um and mostly directed at janet Alice and um, actually pretty much every single woman that comes into viewpoint for Quentin because these women are always described 
When you're introduced to them, one of the first things you find out about them is the shape and size of their breasts. Yeah. He's a boob man. Uh, I just... (laughs) It made me absolutely... (laughs) I just... Why? It's not necessary. And the, the shaming around sex when yeah. it came to women was unbelievable. I just... Once I kind of started noticing it, that was when it was already a no from me about this book because I couldn't get past it. Because it's so pervasive throughout the entire novel from all of the characters. Same with the fat phobia. You know, every every character in this that is fat is either evil or stupid. Yeah. I also get, I always get this kind of like undertone. I mean, it's not even an undertone, it's an overtone, but we'll go with undertone um, <laughs> of like women doing the same things as men, but it's kind of with this attitude, attitude of like, of course they can. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, of course they can. Bless them. Yeah. Patronising. Patronising, yeah, that's the word. Infantilising, all of those, yeah. It's like, we're letting them do that. Yeah. They can amuse themselves over here while we do the real stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the fact that Alice is just allowed to, like, sacrifice, not obviously herself, but, like, her whole future for this man. Yeah. This horrible man. Like, who knows what she would have gone on to do if she hadn't followed him after... Mm-hmm. graduating yeah because she was going to go for a, a scholarship wasn't she yeah and she's like oh no it's fine i'll go to brooklyn with him and they literally lay around do nothing while he goes out and takes drugs yeah you know it's depressing <clears throat> mm-hmm. but yeah so just be warned i mean if you get to the end of this episode and you haven't read it and still want to <laughs> just be warned but, I mean, it's even, like, right at the beginning when um, he is with his other two friends. Mm. And it's almost like she is villainized for this action. Because, obviously, he's the one... She's the one he's interested in. But, I mean, yeah. she becomes, like, the issue and the other friend isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's her fault yeah. that he's upset because she doesn't love him back. I think she's she's made to... And she's punished for that because she gets the she does the exam to get into break bills too and she doesn't get in and the the uh memory spell doesn't work on her and it makes her go insane basically yeah she is punished for that and i think that same goes with alice because quentin cheated on alice and then alice cheated on quentin and then alice died yeah and he also a... he also gaslights her oh, into thinking constantly. like it's her fault. Oh yeah, that he cheated on her. Oh yeah, but then when she does, she's the she's the devil. You know, there's no there's no room for them both to maybe go. Actually, we were both wrong. We were both hurting. Yeah, Quentin's hurt. Quentin's hurt, and that's all that matters. And she pays for that with her life. It's just, yeah, it's not good. (laughs) 
feel like I used to know a Quentin, and it made, made me quite <laughs> it made me quite uncomfortable in some in some parts. You know, uh, at least it's a used to know. That's true. <laughs> Could be worse. Mm. It's better than saying I do know a Quentin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would not be uh, complimentary. No, it's not complimentary now, but. It doesn't <laughs> Did you want to talk about your glowing reviews? Oh yeah, so what I found when I was also digging through different reviews and stuff is that the people that would come back at like negative reviews and say, oh, actually, I liked it for all the reasons that you're saying you didn't like it. And I I went through dozens of these and nine times out of ten, the poster presented as male. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like that this kind of book might, might, and I don't know because I haven't cross-sectioned the whole readership of <laughs> magicians, but as a trend, it seems to be that men seem to get more out of this than women. Because misogyny is... Because, <laughs> because yeah. misogyny, basically. Because misogyny. But, yeah, so the glowing reviews. I mean, that's not to say that there are plenty of like women who have been like this is the book for me and good for them if they can find peace with it but um i think it'd be interesting to see how old those women's reviews are yeah but this book feels like it's older than it is yeah but then he apparently he did have the idea for it in the 90s and obviously it was released in 2009 yeah which is quite still quite a long time ago but that tracks not so long ago that some of these ideas and stuff were still wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still unacceptable in 2009. Yeah. And in the 90s, to be honest. But yeah. it was, I guess it was more accepted. Um, yeah. That's interesting, though. Hmm. I'm not surprised. No, it's I'm definitely, not surprised. It's definitely man fantasy, isn't it? It is. But a different type of man fantasy. Mm. Because we've often said this, haven't we, about how you can feel the difference between like uh, like a, a male-centric fantasy, mm-hmm. one that's written very much from a very traditional male perspective yeah, compared to a female perspective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this definitely falls on the side of man fantasy. But <laughs> in in a slightly different way than i thought think what i've kind of i would have classed man fantasy as before yeah it's a new unpleasant subgenre (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you have anything else to add i hate it (laughs) yeah i'm not a fan I actually I gave it two stars, but now I'm thinking that was generous. I know I was just thinking that, and too. I might actually drop it down to one. Yeah, I think it might only be my second one star review of the year. Mm. And the other one star was a a podcast book, also. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but we've we're kind of it's because we we forcing ourselves to read books that we might not necessarily read that's true yeah you know we've got to cover all of the bases because if we if we want to be dark academia experts 
then we need to know the genre in full. Exactly. And why things don't make it, make the cut. Yeah, so I mean, the question is, is it dark academia? Absolutely not. <laughs> Hell no. It's portal fantasy. Um, yeah. But will our next book be dark <laughs> academia? It's going to be fun. It's going to be really good fun. So next time we will be looking at Gothicana by Runix, which is, you know, got the TikTok girlies going. <laughs> and they, they keep telling us it's dark academia. We'll see. So we'll be the judges of that. But this, this is going to be a good fun one. So this is what Gothicana's all about. If this is madness, she whispered almost against his lips. Drown me in it. Corvina is a woman with secrets. The last thing she expects to receive is an admission letter from the University of Verinmore, a place just as secretive. A castle atop a mountain, Verinmore is steeped in shadows, deceit and death, a place where students have been disappearing every five years for over a century. As Corvina becomes caught up in unravelling the clues to solve the mystery, her path collides with Vad Deverell, her enigmatic professor. Vad, too, is a man with secrets, and he cannot allow Corvina to get close enough to discover what he hides. But whenever she is near, his heart and soul yearn to possess her. As Corvina and Vad become more and more entangled, their passion for each other could be the very thing to solve the mystery of Verinmore, or it could bring them both down in flames. Oh, it's gonna be spicy. <laughs> I probably cut out the laughing fit that her name gave me, <laughs> but... Just know that um, we might not be able to say her name in full in the whole episode because it's just going to send us, okay? I I encourage you to look it up because I can't say it without losing my call again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a really fun book and a really fun episode. I I think think so too. Um, Again, just a reminder, if you are not signed up to our newsletter, we encourage you to do so. We're having a makeover. It's going to be fresh, fresh as a daisy, Um, (laughs) fresh as a dark academia daisy. So (laughs) you can sign up to that at the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review, um, give us a rating, give us a follow or a subscribe, whatever your platform allows. We really appreciate it and it helps us out. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.